Welcome to Song Salad with Shannon and Scott. I'm Shannon. And I'm Scott. And I am a professional writer and your resident lyricist. And I'm a professional musician and your resident composer. Oh. And together, <laughs> and together, we toss up a new song each week. I don't like the way I said that. Using a random music genre. <laughs> and a random topic. That's right. Using our proprietary patented paternal mm. industrial strength salad spinner. We randomize over 500 music genres. And hit the random article button on Wikipedia to get our topic. Yeah. Tell our listeners what we did last time, Shannon. Last time, we did an urban cowboy song. Yes. Which is a genre based on a movie with Jean Travolta. I said a genre with Jean Travolta. Jean Travolta. (laughs) Jean Travolta. With with genre topic Volta. Yes, it was a a a cowboy movie with a lot of dancing and music in it, uh, diegetically, and the topic was an uh, Malayalam, which uh, our dear friend Todd the linguist at Todd the linguist told me how to say. Oh wow! Uh, uh, it's a Malayalam movie from India about it's like a detective thriller kind of, but it was called Red Wine. <laughs> Still don't know why. Haven't no heard idea. from any listeners that have seen this movie yet, so the call is still out there. If you can explain why it's called Red Wine, let us know. <laughs> explain this movie to us, please. That was a fun one. Uh, my brother texted me um, shortly after the episode that Urban Cowboy is probably his least favorite genre in existence. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's a tall order. In existence. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And I made the connection that it feels sort of like the yacht rock of country. Oh, what a good observation. I do think that that's a nice way to like kind of dial it in. Like extremely um extremely commercial and extremely mainstream. Not uh-huh. a ton of substance there. And easy listening. Easy listening. Yeah, I think you're right. Nailed it. I was going to say that I think it's funny that uh, on this, the day after Mother's Day, our adjective was paternal <laughs> for, this, for the salad spinner. You know what? We just go where the salad spinner takes us. It's, uh, we're at the whims of the spinner list. It, it's true in, in so many ways, except today we are at the whims of a much protracted spinner list for topics because it's a salad bowl episode wow good segue you got there oh thank you so much so salad bowl topic this week we'll still get a random genre uh the topics as you may know if you're a longtime listener of this show come from suggestions from our ten dollar and up patreon donors so if you want to suggest topics join us on patreon with a ten dollar and up donation Yes, and thank you to everyone who has been submitting. We have quite a a healthy, happy list of both genres and topics from you, but we always want more. Should we do it? Let's do it. Let's see what's in store for us this week as we fire up the salad spinner to generate our genre and topic. Usually you say, like, here we go, or something. (laughs) Well, I don't feel like it today, (laughs) Scott. (laughs) This week, we're writing a song in the style of... 
chill step about, about Maeve, Maeve Brennan. Brennan. Thank you, Nubia. Thank you. Thank you, Nubia. Okay. All right. Chill step. Chill step. Does not have uh, a Wikipedia page. Yeah, sometimes makes it hard, but we did find uh, an article by... <laughs> I love how we're like, oh, wow, really, really hard if there's no Wikipedia page, <laughs> ignoring the rest of the internet. Look, listen, as I said to our dear friend Todd the Linguist, whenever he was like, I can't believe that you know me and you didn't ask me how to pronounce Malayalam, I was like, our lack of due diligence is part of our charm. So I think... <laughs> <laughs> and so I think like if it's not on Wikipedia, it might as well not exist if it takes some effort to figure this out. But look, for you, for you, our loyal vegetarians, we're going to figure out what the hell chill step is. We're going to do it. Yes. Um, from from what we can find on the rest of the Internet, <laughs> yeah. it seems like it is a uh, relaxing and more ambient version of dubstep. Yeah, we'll get into it. And Nubia suggested Maeve Brennan. Can't wait to learn about this lady. Uh, do you want to give us the first sentence of her Wikipedia article since she's on Wikipedia? Sure. Sure. Cool. <laughs> Maeve Brennan, born 1917, died 1993, was an Irish short story writer and journalist. Cool. Can't wait to learn about her. I bet she loved Chill Step. <laughs> You can just tell by looking at the black and white photo of her on her Wikipedia page. <laughs> I think would... the black and white photo of her on her Wikipedia page could also be in the dictionary under side eye. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of true. It is it is a very moody picture. Her eyes are like it's a it's all in profile, which is interesting, mm -hmm. and her eyes are sort of like downcast and to the side. Mm, it's very demure. Mm, it is demure, but there's a sense of uh, there's a sense of like a uh, steely purpose behind it. Very Irish. Mm, mm hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into chill step, shall we? Let's do it. Mm. Oh, I just want to like study in the rain. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a very. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just don't. I just don't ever want to study. Like that is just not like a thing well, that I. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think some people. I want to read in the rain, but I mean, not out, not in the rain. Like inside, looking at the rain. Fair compromise. <laughs> <laughs> so this music, it does definitely remind me of like. You know, on YouTube, every once in a while, I will get a suggested playlist of like one hour of music to listen to in the rain or whatever. And it's like this kind of ambient, chill music. And uh, this specific niche genre is the combination of that ambient style with dubstep, bass, and beats um, so that it is more relaxing than dubstep, but it has more of a drive than pure ambient or trance music yes and this uh this article writer who does like a pretty nice little summary with some examples of what chill step is this is on stereofox.com 
Um, but he talks about how it is not hypnagogic pop, even though I guess a lot of people like conflate the two. And hypnagogic pop is also called psychedelic music huh. and evokes a cultural memory and nostalgia for like pop culture and entertainment uh, of the eight of the eighties. And it emerged mm-hmm. in like the two thousands as like lo-fi and noise. And so it has like some radio rock and synth pop and video game music. And for a time, I guess it was used interchangeably with glow fi or chill wave. Glow fi. Um, yeah. And uh, we did uh, also talk about chill wave in a past episode. That was episode 139, The Garden of Loss. If you remember, we talked about um, the Fairy Lake Botanical Garden in China. Mm. And um, that was like study music. And it had more of like a flow and more of an ambient sound than I think Chill Step does. Yeah. It's also interesting that uh, the article talks about how producers that make this music have approached it from two sides. Like they've either come out of making dubstep into making Chill Step, which gives it a certain kind of sound, certain kind of feel, or they've come out of ambient into making chill step which gives it a different kind of feel so if you know the other work of some of these producers you can kind of get a sense for like why their chill step music may be more beat focused and heavy or maybe more ambient focused so the genre uh, the examples we're going to play you will hear a little bit of a mix of ones that do feel a little heavier and more percussion focused more bass focused and ones that feel more focused on the synth layers and on one aspect of the genre that is uh, very iconic, which is the mellow, very processed vocals. Um, Yeah. A lot of the vocals in the genre seem to be pitched high, uh, almost so that you can't understand what's happening. Uh, and so that they do feel like another kind of a synth texture rather than a lead vocal line in the song. Yeah, to- totally agree. Another one of those, the vocals are the vocals are uh, just another element versus something you're supposed to track along with. But as Scott plays the examples, I'll pick out some of the lyrics and tell you what they actually are because it is unlikely you will understand them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with an example from... Even S. So it's evens, but it's a capital S. And the song is Tell. So this is this song uh, has its own lyrics. It's not a remixed song, which some of these are. And like, as you know, from like dubstep and other um, blank step genres, <laughs> they often use remixes um, or they'll just pull like one line of the lyrics from another song and, and sort of like, you know, chop and screw it um, and make it 
fun and more, again, a textual element. But this one does seem to have its own lyrics. They are entirely repetitive. It's just one four-line stanza over and over again. And here's what that stanza is. When I wake from dreams, tell me I can really love. Wait, no. When I wake from dreams. (laughs) (laughs) It's just four lines. I fucked it up. When I wake from dreams, tell me can I really love. Look into my eyes. Take me to the capital. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Well, here's something we should talk about that may explain this a little bit. Um, mm. So this genre uh, really peaked in 2012, 2013 uh, on YouTube when YouTube was the dominant streaming space for this kind of music before we had things yeah. like Spotify. So... As would make sense with YouTube, there was also a visual element to a lot of this music. And Chill Step, um, you often saw illustrations of different kinds accompanying the videos, usually some kind of fantasy landscape or something ambient looking to match the sound of the music. The illustration on the YouTube video for Tell is a big, like, fantasy city almost like a castle Mm. in the distance behind a mountain range with this beautiful like purple yellow and orange sunset over it so if you're going to create a song with a visual in mind i guess it could make sense that you have this drawing of this like capital city in the distance and that inspires your lyrics or vice versa so it doesn't really need to like make sense as long as it fits the package of the audio and visual that you're representing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I think this the the predominance of a visual style with the genres that emerged around the like you said exactly the YouTube era of streaming are so interesting because they were just like a necessary component of like putting your shit on YouTube. <laughs> And so, but, but they spawned like a whole kind of like consistent aesthetic for a genre instead of, you know, just being like a random photo that people would throw up, you know, to, so that people would have something to like look at, I guess, when they looked over at their computer and it was still playing while they were studying. Um, And I, I just think that that's like a really cool kind of unconscious collective agreement that like this music sounds like this. Yeah, I Um, agree. And I just think that that's like so neat. I mean, it it reminds me of the, I mean, I'm sure that we've talked about this before and heads up Todd the linguist. I'm going to talk about a linguistic thing. So if I get it wrong, tweet at us. Um, but you know, the, the booba and Kiki experiment, you know, this, no, no, I know. Okay. I know that Kiki is like a drag term. Um, no, that's not what but I mean. I don't know booba the drag <laughs> artist. Uh, the actually, Booba Kiki is a very funny drag A very nerdy, uh, name. funny drag name. Yes, yes. Um, I came up anyways. with another drag name yesterday. Um, what was it? Oh, Queso Blanco. <laughs> <laughs> I still think Uno Canolo Uno is going to be the is one, but... Uno Canolo. Queso Blanco is very good, Thank though. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt um, your, your booby Kiko. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, so the Booba Kiki experiment is if you take 
Um, it's conducted with people from all different cultures and all different languages. Not all, but you know what I mean. Various different cultures across yes. various different languages. And they are shown a round, soft shape, and then a spiky, hard-looking shape. And they're asked which one is a booba and which one is a kiki. And almost always, people say that the booba is the round, soft shape, I and would. the kiki is the hard, spiky shape. Yeah. Even though there's absolutely no reason why <laughs> either shape should be named either one of those, you know, nonsense words. Right. Um, but it just goes to show you that, like, sound has, you know, everyone is a little bit synesthetic right. in certain ways, right. you know? That's very I just interesting. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talk a lot about music, you know, as a composer and an orchestrator, most of the terms we use to describe music also have a visual component to them. Like we call that's so true. We call things angular sounding, or we say this has a great texture to it. You know, like so it's it's the same words they use to describe visual component components or the way things feel. Um, you can use to describe music. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, Something that I think is is interesting about, at least from what I've seen and, and kind of gleaning from what this guy says uh, in his article, he talks about the illustration style for this music having a lonely mm. aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like while a lot of them aren't negative or sad images, they do have like a, a vast landscape yeah. kind of feel where there's like an expansive solitary not a lot of people in the images if any at all mm -hmm. um yeah it's 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 cool and i think that matches in the music the use of filters and reverb and uh synthesizers to give the music a sense of space and vastness and distance as well mm. um mm -hmm. like uh it's also the uh the feel of the beat and the bpm the the tempo um, feels a little bit more spaced out than dubstep does. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot of this music has what I would call a halftime feel. So if you're, you know, if you're beat, it's normally, Beyonce, yeah. it's J Lo, right. it's J it's Justin Timberlake, it's Bruno Mars, a real halftime feel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, if your beat is normally in a dubstep song, something like do 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 do. The halftime feel would be do So it kind of just spreads out the the feel and makes it heavier. Mm, mm, mm. Again, a physical sensation word for the music that you're describing. Yeah. Heavy. Let's listen to another example. Yeah, let's. This one is a little bit more upbeat. Um, it's called Things We Used to Do. Uh, by the artist Tide, T-Y-D-E. So a little bit more 
peppy, I would say. Yeah. But still all the elements that we talked about. So here, this is my assumption from what the lyrics are listed as. The lyrics are listed as N-A. <laughs> N-A. Yeah. Uh, not applicable. But obviously, there is a vocal line in the song. Yes. And what I'm imagining that means is that that is a small sampled bit or it was like one line that someone recorded mm-hmm. that just got chopped up and rearranged and put like set to rhythm and stuff. So I, I don't think there is actually like a lyric. I think it is just used. A, it is a vocal element, I think. Yeah. And it's so breathy and processed that it's just, yeah, uh, indistinguishable. Indeed. I don't think I was able to find the like original posting of this with the original art, but the YouTube video that I found of, uh, I think, someone else reposting it has a, well, it looks like it could either be an illustration or a uh, photograph with a filter on it that looks like the reflection of a person standing in a lake, but it doesn't really look like a person anymore because of how ripply and wavy it is. So I think it does also feel like a pretty lonely image to me, like if you're trying Mm -hmm. to look at your own reflection, but all you see is ripples, you know? Mm. Did you do the thing when you were little and you'd go, like my my grandmother used to take me to the Pittsburgh Symphony or the Pittsburgh Pops and mm-hmm. stuff, uh, Pittsburgh Civic Orchestra. And um, did you do the thing when you were little listening to classical music of like picturing like a little movie in your head that went along with it? No. Oh. <laughs> I wish I could join you on this, but no, I didn't. <laughs> Oh, man, that was like my favorite thing to do is like I would just listen to the music and there would be like just a an ever evolving movie in my head of what I thought was happening based on what was in the music. I think I was too interested in looking at what the instruments were doing and what the conductor was doing and just like, you know, trying to dissect what was happening by, you know, focusing on different instrument groups and stuff, which explains a lot about me. Yeah, I think actually now that you say that, I think it's pretty clear our different orientations to the world uh, (laughs) through our professions and what we're interested in based on how we responded to classical music as children. Uh, Yeah, for sure. But I will say, you know, what you experienced uh, is, I think, probably a more universal experience of listening to classical music. Just look at like uh, Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf. Uh, Mm -hmm. For instance, you know, that's a perfect example of people being able to connect uh, moments in a story to a purely, uh, you know, musical, lyricless experience. Wait, was Peter the Wolf not based on a story? No, no, it was. But I'm just saying that, like, it's one of the clearest examples of a song you can listen to and clearly follow the story. Uh Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I was like, if he didn't base it on that story, whoever came up with that story is brilliant. (laughs) 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 Wow. Uh, Anyway, if you don't know Peter and the Wolf, go listen to it. It's fabulous. It's It's fun to listen to with kids. Yeah. Uh, Let's listen to our last example here. Yes. This is Mount Eden, who is listed as one of the primary uh, chill step artists, along with Rusko, Seven Lions, Scrux, Ramsey's B, CMA, Midas, Mr. Fijiwi, <laughs> and Zed's Dead. 
So if you want to look up more artists, check them out. Um, listed along with all those artists as some of the names that come up in every forum and thread mentioned about Chill Step. Um, so this is Mount Eden. Oh, that I have. Is also another one with uh, what appears to be a custom, a custom lyric, Ooh. a bespoke lyric, an artisanal um, lyric. Yes, uh, but it is also again very repetitive. So I'm going to read you some of this. Uh, oh, that I had the wing of a dove to rest on me. This is not new to me, as I sit in this boat. But I'm so cold, my bones will freeze. And there's not through the haze. I've been waiting so long, but my hour has gone away. Hmm. And then it repeats over and over. And the image on the YouTube video that I found is uh, a man walking across a frozen lake into the sunrise. The uh, the one that I found is a weird sort of um, psychedelic looking kind of pastel landscape with a futuristic city in the background. And then in the midground, there's a bunch of like workers with uh, giant mushrooms and a mad scientist. And then in the f- uh, foreground is a white tiger. Oh. <laughs> different. <laughs> Very different. Okay. I, I like it. I think that example shows a little bit more dubstep influence than ambient influence in the use mm-hmm. of percussion. Um, so I think we have a little bit of room to play with in terms of like whatever we come up with for the exact vibe of the song about Maeve Brennan, we can go one direction or the other, but I think it's going to be fun to create. I agree. Should we go learn about Maeve Brennan? Let's do it. Woo! Woo! Meow! Wow, Nubia, excellent job. I mean, as always, our uh, our listeners know the things that are going to resonate with us, yeah. and Maeve, wow, very cool. So, as we mentioned, Irish short story writer and journalist, um, but a really complex and interesting life. Uh, She moved to the U.S. in 1934 uh, because of her father's uh, political position, which we will get into. And she uh, was uh, became famous uh, posthumously. Um, She was very successful as a writer during her life, but became more famous after her death when collections of her articles, short stories, etc., were published. So I think let's get let's get into her early life a little bit and then we'll talk about her career and her writings. Yeah, sure. So she was born in Dublin. Um, and I think this is just a cool fun fact that she and her sisters were each named after ancient Irish queens. So like right away that kind of tells you something Yas about queens. what her Yeah, it was what <laughs> yes queens um it was you know that tells you something about what her parents wanted her to you know espouse in life i think yeah and her parents were both really involved 
in the Irish political and cultural struggles, uh, like the separatists and like the Irish Republican army um, during the Irish Civil War. Um, And yeah, lots of heavy stuff. Her father, um, her, both of her parents were in prison at different points in time. Um, Her mother only once, it seems like, but her father was actually sentenced to death. Um, But his sentence was commuted uh, as long as he did uh, um, like penal service. So I think like basically endangered servitude more or less. Um, Mm -hmm. He was kind of on the run a bunch of times and um, she would later write about her, her history with that and how her home was raided by the free state forces um, looking for her father at certain points in time. And she was actually born while her father was in prison. Yeah. 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 So the political appointment we were talking about was uh, he was appointed uh, her father, was appointed the Irish Free State's first minister to the United States, which moved the whole family to Washington, D.C. in 1934. Maeve was 17 at the time, and then she attended uh, a Catholic school in Washington uh, and then graduated with a degree in English from American University in 1938 and then spent uh, the majority of the rest of her life in New York City. Yeah, her um, parents and brother went back to Ireland, and she stayed, and she started working as a fashion copywriter, um, and she was also writing kind of like the lighter um, social gossip and social commentary pieces for like the talk of the town section uh, in The New Yorker at the time, and she wrote under a fabulous pseudonym which was The Long-Winded Lady. Fantastic. I love it. (laughs) Love it. Uh, She wrote about both uh, the United States and Ireland uh, throughout her career, Um, contributed to fiction criticism, fashion notes, essays, uh, and The New Yorker began publishing her short stories in 1950. Interestingly, she was not well-known in Ireland at all, even though she was a fairly well-regarded writer in the U.S. and especially in New York. It seems like she was a very interesting person, uh, mm-hmm. personality-wise, style-wise. She was known in New York society for her intelligence, wit, beauty, and style. Wikipedia says she was a petite woman who frequently dressed in black and liked wearing large, dark glasses, and she was eccentric and never lived in one place for a long period of time. Um, she liked to live above her means and spend extravagantly. And uh, there is speculation that she may have been the inspiration for the character Holly Golightly in Truman Capote's <laughs> story. So wow. if you look up pictures of her, aside from the picture that we talked about earlier, that's on her Wikipedia page, uh, you do see a lot of pictures that come up on like Google image search of her wearing sleek black outfits and uh you know trying on these big glasses holding a cigarette with her hair pulled back and she does look very audrey hepburn-esque in in a lot of these photos she really does especially with that slicked back hair and that big bun like Mm -hmm. it it's very uh it's very breakfast at tiffany's she had some high profile lovers um (laughs) she (laughs) 
reportedly uh, was in love with Walter Kerr. Yes, who was? I mean, I was I was going to say high profile from the perspective of theater nerds because there is a theater named after Walter Kerr because he was a critic <laughs> and a director. But also high profile in the terms of like New York society folk, I think. For for sure, for sure. Um, sadly, he broke off their engagement, even though it was speculated that that he was like the real love of her life. Um, and he married another writer. Oh, what betrayal. Oh, another Irish American writer. Wow. Becky with the good stories, Bridget Jean Collins. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in the mid fifties, Brennan uh, instead married St. Clair McElway, who was the managing editor of the New Yorker at the time. But um, McElway had already been divorced four times. He had a history of alcoholism and womanizing and probably um, some manic depression. And they divorced after only five years. Edward Albee, the playwright. Really admired Maeve Brennan's work, compared her to Chekhov and Flaubert. I don't know Flaubert. Flaubert? Flaubert. 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 Sure. And he also named a character in one of his plays, the quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong, uh, Long-Winded Lady. Yeah, so she was she was pretty active um, throughout the 50s and through the 60s. Um, by the time her first books were being published, though, she was showing signs of mental illness. Wikipedia talks about how she was well known for her, like, pristine, immaculate appearance and her style, and she became unkempt, and her friends began to find her like quirks and idiosyncrasies and eccentricities to be disturbing instead of entertaining. And she became um, obsessive. So it seems like she really um, kind of decompensated into mental illness and her um, and drove away or her friends were driven away by, uh, by that. Yeah. In the seventies, she became paranoid and alcoholic. She was hospitalized a number of times and became homeless she, in the 1980s, was uh, mostly gone from view. She ended up dying of a heart attack in 1993 at the age of 76 and is now buried in Queens. Oof, what a, what a sad end to her like very otherwise successful life. And I think it, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading in, into it, of course, but... I think it really speaks to the childhood trauma she must have had um, as a little girl growing up in a place where like her very existence and the existence of her family were constantly under under threat because of the um, political war <laughs> that was happening in her country yeah. at the time. And I think that stuff like when you I mean, when you don't process trauma, like a lot of that can can catch up to you later in life right yeah um we mentioned that she became more famous after her death uh basically it seems like a, a woman named mary hawthorne who was on the staff of the new yorker in the 90s got interested in Maeve's works um 
and learned that she was sort of a cult figure to many young writers on the staff of The New Yorker since uh, she worked there. And a bunch of collections of her works were then published and uh, her popularity grew. So that is the story of Maeve Brennan. It's the story of Maeve Brennan. And I I think just to pick up on some of the the themes in her work, which I think are... Yeah, we should talk about that. ...are like emblematic of... Uh, like see, seem knowing you know how her life sort of unraveled and ended i think it's interesting to see that um even in her articles where she was talking about manhattan society a lot of them were sort of like written from like an outsider's perspective looking in like she was never really a uh-huh. participant but she was this kind of sardonic and satirical observer um she also in her short stories um, unpacked a lot of stuff about marriage. Um, she talked about um, unhappy and loveless marriages and, quote, people with claustrophobic, sad, and disappointed lives. And her studies, um, it says, had a had a cruel tone. So I think there was maybe, I mean, like, maybe some internalized, like, self-loathing there for the kind of feelings of loneliness and vulnerability and despair and fear that she felt um, throughout her life. Um, and and we didn't talk about this before, but while she would occasionally return to Ireland, she was very wary of the extremely religious and political culture there and preferred mm-hmm. uh, America. Right. She wrote about uh, some themes of using religion and morals to oppress self-expression and to stop nonconformity. I thought there was uh, an interesting example of some short stories she wrote about a couple named Hubert and Rose Durden, who had a, a, a loveless marriage. And in the final story about them, uh, Rose died and Hubert has to pretend that he's overwhelmed with grief for his dead wife saying she was gone. She had been good and he wished he could miss her, which is so sad. Oh, I mean, first of all, Scott, it's Hubert. Um, but Hubert, <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, some some dark dark stuff, but like I applaud her for sort of excavating that and and bringing bringing that in, into the light in certain ways. Um, there's a there's a quote Scott and I, you know, we're recording remotely for for this um, episode, and Scott and I were both reading the Wikipedia article, and at the same time, we both went oh at <laughs> this quote that we read. Um, you know, she wrote a lot about Manhattan. And she described the city as the capsized city, half capsized anyway, with the inhabitants hanging on, most of them still able to laugh as they cling to the island that is their life's predicament. And having lived in Manhattan for about a decade, uh, yeah, I understand. I understand. Whoa. Just like, I mean, that one got, you know, hits you right in the right in the soft parts, you know? (laughs) Right in the boobas. Yeah, right in the boobas. <laughs> um, she also, just to like sort of finish this all up, as Scott mentioned, she became um, more posthumously famous as like collections of her articles and stories were, um, you know, put together and, and published. But uh, she also had a novella 
published in the 40s called The Visitor. Oh, sorry. It was written in the 40s, but it was not published until 2000. Wow. I always think that's a really interesting and sad thing when people become more famous after their deaths than they were in life. Like, you know, Vincent Van Gogh, for instance, or the composer Mm -hmm. Charles Ives. Like Emily Dickinson. Yeah. It's really fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there are some connecting themes here between Maeve and Chill Step in terms of like that kind of feeling of space and loneliness around Mm. her Mm -hmm. and in her writing. So I think that could be an interesting way into writing a song uh, about her. I agree. I think I think that that's that's really the key here. And the thing that I kind of like about this genre for her is that there is that like you said, the sort of expansive contemplative loneliness about this music, but that there is this like undercurrent of drive, which I think you Mm. do pick up from even just reading her biography on Wikipedia. Like she, she had a, an intrinsic energy about her, even if it was sometimes destructive. Yeah. She had one of those lives where she, you know, she was a flame that burned fast and hot and (laughs) was quickly extinguished, you know? Yeah. I'm going to go put together some synthesizer textures, some uh, beats for a kind of broad uh, dubstep feel. And uh, I have some synth libraries that I haven't really played with too much on this show that are all like these vocal samples that are all these like high pitch kind of vocal things that I think will work well with this genre. So I'll pull out some of those. Oh, why are you holding out on us? Well, you know, they're expensive. I like to use them sparingly. Expensive bleeps and bloops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The caviar of synthesizers. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I'm going to go. Um, I, I, I do want to do something that is short, that is repetitive, and that is evocative. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pull out maybe like three to five lines that would like work as like a nice little uh, verse that can then be like repeated, chopped, and screwed, however you want to do it. Nice. Well, let's do it. All right. This was easy, baby. Your uh, four stanzas didn't take you that long? It did not. Um, (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because I was just like so drawn to that quote of hers about Manhattan. I, I know. I know. Yeah. I loved it. And I wanted to do like a play off of that in the style of the like, you know, it seems it seems like there's a lot that's like, let's go far away and we float off. And it's like this kind of um, uh-huh. I don't know, like dream dream like journey that a lot of these songs go on. Yeah. So I uh, I wanted to play on that. And so I have just like a really simple four line stanza that I think can be repeated as many times as we like, or certain, you know, uh, like lines of it can be, you know, chopped up and repeated too. Cool. So are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Meet me in the capsized city. Drown with me. Let's go down. Cling on, cling on to your island. Life's predicament, this town. Whoa. That's it. Great. I think it has the perfect feel and ambiance for Chill Step. 
Thank you. I agree. I did a good job. And I can picture what the illustration would be. Yeah. Yeah. Like a capsized sit. Like so cool. I think we should get some uh, some concept artists on this. Or if any Ooh. of our loyal vegetarians want to take a, a, a stab at the capsized city. Yeah. Hoo-hoo. I like that as a title too. Me too. What's our uh, like DJ name? Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, the long-winded lady. <laughs> uh, I like it, but I think from what we've seen in the examples, the uh, the names are usually one word or two word, very short. Yeah. Um. What if it was just long wind? <laughs> long wind. What about Lady Wind? Ooh, Lady Wind is good. The Capsized City by Lady Wind. Yeah, that's fun. Let's do that. Yes, I like it. I think that fits with the aesthetic of my music, too. Yeah, tell me about it. So I mentioned those, uh, the synth libraries that I don't pull out often. So the library is called uh, Exhale, and it's by a company called Output. And the whole uh, thing behind the library is it's all synthesizer sounds made from vocal samples or synthetic voices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everything uh, that you use within the library, whether it's a pad or a bass or a lead synth sound, it's all got like some sort of a vocal quality to it, which I thought was kind of a cool idea for this genre. So like everything is made up of some type of breath. So the synths that I have, I have this sort of like main pad synth that sounds like this. Then I have a lead vocal synth that has that sort of high, like you can tell that it's a voice, but you can't really tell what it's saying quality to it. So here's that lead synth. Cool. Then I have a bass line that is sort of blurring the lines between this vocal idea and what you hear in dubstep with those really like deep pulsating basses. So here's that. Very neat. And then I've got a beat made up of two elements. One is like the big sort of halftime spread out heavy beat that we talked about influencing um, or coming from the dubstep influence. So here's that. And the other one is more of a percussion layer um, that is just to give a little bit more movement and more interest, um, even if the main beat is not present. So here's the percussion layer. Cool. Yeah. And the whole thing will be reverby and washy and spacey. And then uh, I will record your lyric as a melody, but I will repeat it chop it, screw it, make it sound filtered, pitch my voice way up, and uh, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be really cool, too. I love, I do love thematically, like, talking about a capsized city and drowning and, like, breath being a part yeah. of the, like, I think that's just, like, a really nice little thematic tie-in that we got there. Look at that serendipity. Yeah. 
Let's do it. Okay. This is The Capsized City by Lady Wind. <laughs> a chill step song. About Maeve Brennan, Thank You, Nubia. By Shannon and Scott. job as usual by our $10 and up Patreon donors with your suggestions. These these have easily become my favorite episodes to do because yeah. uh, I, I don't know. The, the topics are always interesting. You know, there's very little chance we're going to get an extinct species of moth with like one... <laughs> One line on Wikipedia about or like it. <laughs> a region in Siberia, or you know. Yes, yes, indeed. Very cool. Uh, let us know if you would study to this. <laughs> let us know if you'd study to this. <laughs> let us know if you'd read something in the rain to this. Ooh, yes. I mean, this will this song will be released on Bandcamp, so you could just put it on repeat, all forty five seconds of it, or whatever. <laughs> Well, also feel free if you do make art to it, just put it up on YouTube with your art. We don't care. We're not precious about it. Throw it up there. Very true. That would be super cool to see. If you would like to also suggest genres and topics and genre Travoltas uh, for us, <laughs> <laughs> for us, you can go to patreon.com slash song salad and become a $10 and up donor. $5 and up, um, you get bonus content as well, plus stickers. It's it's a it's a whole smorgasbord there. You can also join us on Twitter at Song Salad Cast or on Facebook Song Salad Podcast Dash. The produce section, we just welcomed a couple new members this week. It's always great uh, to see more people in the group. And Shannon already mentioned our band camp. That is songsalad.bandcamp.com where you can find all of our songs from all of our episodes. Yeah. For free. For free. And until next time. I'm Shannon. And I'm Scott. And this has been Song Salad. Bon appetit. <laughs> A bon podcast. <laughs> it feels good. I like it. I do. I like, especially now with me based in France, it feels One, two, appropriate. Three, five, Keep it. Six,